Okay, everything is a search for yield. Bitcoin Tech Talk issue number 234. Bonds are returning very low, sometimes even negative interest rates. Stocks have insanely high P.E. ratios and low, if any, dividends. Housing prices to rent ratios are similarly high and generate comparatively little earnings for the cost. The macroeconomic conditions are such that there's really no yield anywhere in the traditional markets. How did we get here? Central banks all over the world have been printing money in a bid to reduce risk. Unfortunately, this has had the side effect of reducing yield wherever these uh, risks have been reduced. As a result, we're seeing an unprecedented run on all sorts of alternative assets as people search for yield. Collectibles are having a giant boom since the money printing started. Sports cards, Barbie dolls, G.I. Joe toys, and many other collectibles have had their price shoot up in value as investors stream out of the traditional markets, which look ridiculously overpriced. The central bank money printing in the past year has caused a huge rush into assets of all types, many of which look ripe for a big correction, which brings us to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the one asset that's able to generate yield in this market, and many are finally recognizing it. Not only are individual investors going into Bitcoin, but corporations, hedge funds, and even insurance companies are finally getting in. Yet despite the 200% returns per year, many are tempted to get yield even on this amazing asset. What gives? There's a fiat disease which looks desperately for yield. This is the result of the risk reduction by central banks, which ultimately put people into the bad habit of thinking that nearly all assets are risk-free. In a sense, investors are so used to being made whole on bad risk that they're not able to evaluate risk properly. As a result, nearly everything has little to no return, and when people used to fiat risk look at other yield-bearing instruments, the risk evaluation is thrown off. In other words, we've all been caught in the fiat mentality of looking for yield. The mentality is one of thinking that there's little risk and that there's some sort of bailout around the corner. People are definitely thinking like this of services like BlockFi, where they want that extra 2% yield without taking the proper risk into account. This is due to Bitcoiners since 2015 not having suffered from exchange hacks. The few hacks in the past six years have been either highly localized or been bailed out by well-funded VCs. This has unfortunately only encouraged more risky behavior on the part of investors, which, when the music stops, will hurt a lot of people. This is not only true of lending platforms. All coins are another form of yield chasing. People are not satisfied with the returns that Bitcoin gives them and chase even higher returns using all coins. For some, it's greed in the form of wanting yield beyond the 200% that Bitcoin has historically given. For others, it's envy in the form of wanting to catch up to the gains of earlier adopters. For still others, it's pride in the form of trying to catch up to whatever high point in Bitcoin that they had and not taking the loss. All have been toxic and have ruined many people who otherwise would be sitting pretty. So how does this all end? I imagine there will have to be another major exchange hack before people learn their lesson. A little more yield, whether in the form of lending or altcoin chasing, is simply not worth it long term. Investors must learn this through experience or a change in time preference. This fiat disease of squeezing a little more yield for a lot more risk will stop one way or the other. Terrence, your thoughts on yield chasing and altcoins and all that?
Terrence? All right. Maybe, maybe you're not around. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, this is something that I, I've noticed about a lot of fiat people is, uh, you know, they get into Bitcoin and they just want extra yield on their Bitcoin as if 200% is not good enough for them. Um, and this could be due to envy, greed, pride or whatever. Um, but ultimately, I think it ends up hurting them. And this is a, a very sad situation because oftentimes the risk that they, they're taking with their Bitcoin is enormously high and they don't really recognize it. Um, and, uh, and this is my way of trying to warn people off of yield chasing and being satisfied with the 200% returns, which are like uh, amazing by any standard. All right, Bitcoin. Jeremy Rubin summarizes the latest Taproot activation meeting. It seems the consensus is emerging regarding using speedy trial as the activation method. Rusty Russell's objection is not necessarily a barrier, though many are curious whether he would retract his knack. The main quibble seems to be whether activation will be hype-based or median time past-based. The rough activation time looks to be around November 15th of this year regardless. The subtleties around the activation are many, and this is what being careful looks like. Um, for me, like uh, reading up on the latest speedy trial um, meeting and, and so on uh, just points out just how complicated uh, even little things are and how careful the core devs are being with regard to making sure that there are no forks and so on. Um, and that's that's what this, uh, the, the summary of the meeting was uh, very much like. It, it sounds like Luke Dash Jr. is in uh, favor of hype-based and Jeremy is median time past-based. Um, there, there are subtleties to both and there's apparently code that AJ Towns has written that they're bo both going to evaluate and so on. BTC Pay has released a security patch. Apparently, Tesla Motors contributed to a responsible disclosure of a critical vulnerability in the Docker deployment outlined in CVE 2021-29251. The actual vulnerabilities are yet, yet undisclosed, but will be in time for the next version. In the meantime, everyone running BTC Pay server should upgrade. So apparently the Tesla engineers found these vulnerabilities and did the uh, responsible disclosure. Uh, but that also means that we don't actually know what the uh, disclosure is until you know people have a chance to upgrade and then they will reveal them when the next version releases. But uh, I'm guessing something Docker related, uh, probably with, um, you know, rude escalation or something like that. Ben Kaufman explains the new features in Spectre Wallet version 1.3.0. The major features include one-click setup, quick sync using a trusted snapshot, customization of RBF transactions, and usage of the mempool.space API for fee estimation. Lastly, they now support Bitbox02, which adds to the collection of hardware wallets now supported for multi-sync. Um, you know, Spectre is sort of like the go-to for multi-sig nowadays, and they are supporting more and more wallets. Generally, they want the wa uh, hardware wallets to be PSBT-based, and apparently 1.3.0 um, is now able to use Bitbox. And uh, RBF transactions, um, you know, the mempool, that space API for fee estimation, these are all good things. Uh, I've, I've personally found the mempool... Uh, that space API to be fantastic in estimating fees. 
Brink has announced their first three developer grants. Jesse Posner will get a grant to continue his work on adapter signatures. Ale uh, Alekos um, Fellini will continue maintaining Bitcoin Dev Kit. And Hanadi Stefanov will continue his work in Bitcoin Core. Congrats to all of them. These are um, all very good developers and they are fully deserving of the, uh, the grants that they got from Brink. Lightning. Rusty Russell explains what was released in C Lightning 0.10.0. This release supports dual funding where channels can be funded by both sides, adding liquidity in both directions. This is not standard yet, but the obvious bi-directionality of dual funded channels is a clear win as it'll help add liquidity to both sides in a fair manner. Um, so what we're going to get are channels that go in both directions right now they're mostly in a single direction when you open it although money can flow in one or the other if you fund it with both then both parties um, have some interest in keeping that channel open and utilizing it and keeping it balanced and so on so i think ultimately it'll be very useful for lightning routing Economics, engineering, etc. Nicholas Beard writes about Bitcoin's true barrier to entry. This is a nice long read about what it takes, what it really takes to become a long-term Bitcoin holder. The phases he describes of discovery, humility, conviction, and understanding are likely to be familiar to many of you. I haven't seen this process articulated in quite this way, and reading it should help you level up your holding game. All right. Uh, yeah, that it's a very good sort of philosophical article, and it goes into why people go astray at each of those stages and, uh, and what it really takes to be a Bitcoin holder. Blockstream is issuing a Bitcoin mining token on Liquid. This is a security token with real rights for the token holders and meant more for institutional investors who want Bitcoin mining exposure. I, I don't know exactly how to feel about this because I don't really understand the product that well yet. Apparently, you're you're able to get some sort of exposure to mining, um, and there are there's apparently uh, investor grade demand for it. Um, they've done this for Fidelity and other institutions like that want it for some reason, and they seem to be providing it. And because they want it to be all on the up and up. They've made it a security token, which means that it's regulated and um, you can't own it unless you're like a, a you know, qualified investor and so on. Mimesis Capital does a deep dive into the cash and carry futures trade or contango in Bitcoin. The post gets into a lot of financial lingo like contango, perpetual swaps and backwardation. But the article lays out some conjectures on why the futures trade exists. The main reason seems to be the reason that all assets are going up. There's a lot of money being printed and little yield anywhere. The contango currently only helps Bitcoin's price as more and more Bitcoin gets locked up to do the cash and carry trade. Yeah, so um, this is the trade where you take uh, you you sell the future which is trading at a premium to the current price you um, buy the Bitcoin right now and you get that premium and all you have to do is hold the Bitcoin until expiration at which point you deliver the Bitcoin um, seems like a fairly straightforward trade but you know on an annualized basis I think it's something like 30% that you can get out of this um, surprising that not not as many people are taking 
advantage of it, especially given that it's like, um, you know, uh, like in fiat terms, it's a great trade. But if you're a Bitcoiner, I think holding Bitcoin is generally going to be a better bet anyway. Nick Carter analyzes where Bitcoin mining is happening in China. The article gives a great overview of where energy is cheap and where the population is to take advantage of the energy generation. Unsurprisingly, the Bitcoin miners tend to be where there's a lot of energy generation and little usage. This is an excellent overview of how much energy generation sits there unused or wasted and how much Bitcoin helps relieve such inefficiencies in the energy market. So, uh, you know, Nick Carter, I think, has studied the Chinese market and where the population centers are and oftentimes like uh, where where the hydroelectric dams are not all of them obviously but some of them tend to not be really near uh high energy consumers so um you know when when bitcoin mining goes to those places they get very good rates and ultimately this subsidizes the building of these hydroelectric dams and so on nft stands for not fully thought out this is another voice of reason regarding what amounts to a bunch of signatures i've written plenty on nfts but this is a nice consolidation of various ideas and more in a single article so this was uh you know written by uh bj dweck um and he he's uh he he runs i think a hedge fund um, out of singapore Anyway, it's, uh, it's an excellent piece, uh, totally worth uh, taking a look at. PayPal is now settling in BTC for payments. This was an obvious move to support regions where they don't support their local currency. Visa seems to be planning to do the same thing. So um, PayPal is settling in Bitcoin, and I, I've said this before. Um, there's no reason why all of these other financial instruments can't also settle in Bitcoin. And this is, I think... Uh, sort of like a watershed moment when a lot of these um, these uh, accounting systems as ultimately settle in Bitcoin, then it'll start becoming much more of a medium of exchange and possibly even unit of account. Because when when it's a when you're paying in, it, it's so much easier right now to pay in dollars because everyone thinks in dollars, everyone settles in dollars. Uh, but you know when you know settling in Bitcoin becomes a lot more normal, it's going to be. Uh, a lot more usage that way because uh, people are just going to demand Bitcoin instead of dollars. Tether releases an assurance opinion that it's fully backed. This is another one of those stories that comes back every bull cycle. Perhaps this particular fuck can go uh, can now go away for good. And you know, Tether has been accused of uh, being the vehicle by which Bitcoin pumps uh, the. The, the proponents never really um, explain the economics of it because, you know, I do they just print Tether to create Bitcoin? Then where is that Tether coming from and who's actually like accepting that Tether and so on? So uh, it, like I, I think uh, the fact that it's fully back now should say something. Another week, another centralized altcoin gets sued by the government. I, uh, this one is LBRY, um, and you know that's uh, that they're being sued by the SEC. So it's another one. Um, final call for the thank God for Bitcoin book launch dinner in Austin uh, this Wednesday. All eight of the authors will be there. Um, I am going to be at the Texas A&M Bitcoin Conference on April 16th and 17th. This will be my first in-person conference since BitBlockBoomBox summer. 
I'm also going to be at Bitcoin 2021, which is June 4th and 5th, and I am starting up my programming blockchain seminar again. And the next seminar is in June on June 1st and 2nd in Miami, and then August 13th and 14th in Mexico. Um, and it's a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin. You can apply to get in um, on programmingbitcoin.com. And I have some scholarships available um, for those that can't afford the price. Um, I've set up a new Sphinx group for my podcast and newsletter. And, uh, and you know, th this past week's uh, Bitcoin Fixes This podcast has CJ Wilson, who, of course, is very famous here on Clubhouse about, you know, what he overcame to become an all-star pitcher in the major leagues. Um, and, you know, that he was he's not just entertaining, but his uh, what he's overcome is very inspirational. Um, Guy Swan has recorded my empty block attack article. Um, so if you want to listen to that instead of reading it, you can go check out uh, Bitcoin Audible. And I talked to Flyover Libertarian and Vaguely Speaking about the new book, Thank God for Bitcoin. And of course, my other books, The Little Bitcoin Book and Programming Bitcoin are also available on Amazon. Anyway, Fiat Delenda Est. Um, all right, so that about does it for uh, for the newsletter. If you have any questions, please uh, come up or raise your hand, and I will bring you up on stage, and you can ask it. There's no transcript, unfortunately. I don't do transcripts of my podcasts, but it is available on every streaming platform, including Sphinx and Breeze now. So you can you can go to go to either of those. All right, Paul, you got a question? All right, great. Yeah, if, uh, certainly that's the big risk that you're taking is whatever amount of Bitcoin that you're putting towards these things, there's a decent chance that it'll go away um, and not a small chance. Like, uh, like you're not going to be able to hold it in any of these platforms for very long before something happens. All right, uh, Don, did you have a question? Yeah, go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the way it works in SegWit is that there's a SegWit or, or a witness field, basically, in a transaction. And that witness field um, 
whatever goes in there is counted as one fourth of the rest of the transaction. So a normal, um, you know, the, the version bytes, the, um, you know, the sequence and the amounts and the public, uh, the, the script, uh, that, that, that it's being spent to and so on. Um, and even time lock, all, all of that is, um, counted like 4x whatever is in the witness field the witness field is uh is what has and in native segwit for multi-sig anyway it, it's what ends up having not just the um the script that's being unlocked uh which is hashed into the bec 32 address um and usually that contains public keys uh, and so on, but also the signatures that unlock uh, that particular input. So all, um, signatures are like 74 bytes right now or something to that, or 72 bytes because they are all ECDSA. Um, Schnorr will, I think, decrease that to 63 or 64, something like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's 70, 72 bytes per signature um, 33 bytes per public key. Um, so if, if you're doing two of three, then you have two signatures, which is two times 72 and three, uh, pub keys, three times 33. So that's like 99, uh, 144, 99, uh, 243, something like that for a two of three, some, uh, something to, uh, very roughly speaking, but it counts as one fourth. Uh, so that ends up being, um, 61 or so um, instead of 243 so um, that that's the size that uh, that you consider it for uh, for block purposes uh, and that that's how you you f you figure out like how much it quote unquote weighs and how to um, calculate fees around that does that make sense Uh, not exactly, because other parts of the transaction stay the same size. It's just one-fourth of the biggest part of the transaction, which is essentially script sig, but now it's all in the witness field. Yeah. Yep, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Um, I don't see any other questions. So um, if there are no questions, I'm going to stop this recording and yeah. I, I, and I don't know, maybe close this room. <laughs>